Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Sequel Q&A. My name's Doug. So next week's sequel, Hal and Kumar 2, Escape from Guantanamo Bay. Can you not wait to talk about this movie? Jamie's never seen any of these, which should be a crime because they're just done so well and hold up so good after all these years. I saw it in the movie theater way back in 2008. Me and my wife watched it a few weeks back. Still, still had us laughing. And it brings us to this week's interview, which I love talking to everyone. I love interviewing each and every guest, actor, actress, behind the scenes. There's something special about comedians and nothing beat talking to comedian and actor and now podcaster, John Reap. You know John from... Hey! That thing got a hammy! That's John Reap. And then you know him from Hal and Kumar, too. If you've seen that, he plays Ramus. He's married to his... Or has a kid with his sister. He's hilarious in that movie. He was on the hit series Rodney that was around for a little bit. And just so much more. But his comedy right now, of course, you got to check out his podcast, Country-ish Podcast. I'll put the link in the notes, but it's just countryish.com or just search it wherever you get your podcast. It's hilarious. He started this when I talked to him was right a couple months into the pandemic. So he was just, you know, getting really into it. And, uh, he, he's so funny. He has great gas, great games that he plays with his fans, which is really cool. But yeah, just talking about last comic standing, his connections with Doug Benson, the town he grew up with his family, uh, just really everything. John was great. So before I start the interview, just want to remind you to check out his podcast, Countryish Podcast. Special from a few years back is on Amazon Prime still, Ginger Beard Man. And also subscribe to our podcast, The Good, The Bad, and The Sequel. Come on, do it. Hit the button, rate us five stars or a hundred stars, whichever amount of stars that you feel, review us and share us with your friends. That's all. Now, without further ado, comedian John Reap. Oh, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, man. Good. So, yeah, I saw you got a quarantine cut today. I did. Yeah. I uh, I was supposed to be in Los Angeles doing Theo Vaughn's podcast. Oh, nice. And I'm like, well, if uh, and, and what I was going to do was... Uh, give myself a mullet on his show <laughs> and since i can't be there i thought well i'll do it on my own show <laughs> that's awesome man yeah. so so cool to talk to you I've, I've i've listened to you for a while i've seen your stand up way back last comic standing and then harold and kumar thanks man yeah it's i've had a up and down career my career is all over the map you know i've done uh, stuff like harold and kumar with r-rated film about uh, guys just wanting to get high and I'm married <laughs> to my sister and I've done stuff for the Disney channel. <laughs> so it's all over. That's awesome, man. So, so you grew up in Hickory, North Carolina, right? Yeah. I grew up in Hickory, North Carolina. It's about an hour North of Charlotte. It's nestled in the foothills of North Carolina. Uh, it's kind of famous. It used to be the furniture capital of the world. Oh. Home to Winston Cup champion Dale Jarrett and the pig from Green Acres. Whoa. That's, <laughs> that's a who's who. Dale Jarrett? Yeah. How, how many people How many people would you say were in that town when you were growing up? Oh, well, you know, I'll make Hickory sound really really tiny and <laughs> over the years in my comedy and so i own that but it's actually like if you consider the hickory greater like the um, the msa it's like hickory lenore and morganton it's pretty big but when i was growing up it was a lot smaller and i'm in the outskirts of hickory so i'm not like in the middle of hickory i'm on the outskirts a town called mountain view which sounds really nice. So I, that's why I've never said I'm from Mountain View because there's nothing funny about that. Yeah. Hickory's got the word hick in it, you know? Yeah. But it's yeah. probably about um, 30, 30,000 people. Oh, okay. But still, it's pretty cool. Dale Jarrett. Yeah. Well, here also, Dale Jarrett, you've got 
Madison Bumgarner, basically the the baseball pitcher oh, from yeah. San Francisco. He's from Hickory. You've got uh, gosh, oh Eric Church, the country music singer, is from Hickory. Yeah, and then uh, Cooter. Was it no? Was it Cooter? No, I'm sorry. Roscoe Pico train from the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, nice. <laughs> He's not from here, but he did live here for a little while. But yeah, Hickory's not bad, you know. It's okay. It's just a medium-sized town. Um, we got the we got the mountains on one side, and we're about three hours from the beach, an hour from Charlotte. Yeah, it's not too bad. Did you miss it at all? Uh, I did, which is why I moved back. Oh, you oh, you're back there now. Yep, I moved back to Hickory about two years ago. It was a perfect storm of a bunch of stuff. My dad had a stroke. Ah, sorry to hear that. And so now, thank you, he is in a skilled nursing facility. He's paralyzed on his left side. And my mom, she's got glaucoma. She's like 100 pounds. She's got brittle bones. She can't lift him. She can't get him out of bed, can't put him into bed. So we have to have him in a skilled nursing facility. And I actually did miss my family. I actually did miss uh hickory my friends and so i moved back to sort of look after this situation and it's the happiest i've been in a while because i was ready to get out of la anyway i mean despite my dad having a stroke everything else is great about being back here my career uh, fortunately i've had a pretty decent career like i have a manager i have an agent i don't have to be in la all the time and as a comedian you travel so much it doesn't even matter where you what you call home. Yeah, so true. I might as well call, call Hickory my home and be around the people I grew up with and the people that I love and missed and the people who love me. So um, I got here about two years ago, but yeah, I did miss it. I was in LA for 18 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what, you know, that just gives you more material because you're back there. Maybe there's new cast of characters that, uh, that you could use in, in your standup. Oh, Pretty much, it's all true. The um, one of my one of the biggest I don't know comedy bits I have. The people that people who seem to like this bit more than others is about the the swimming pool that my parents have in their backyard. My dad almost drowned when I was a kid trying to fix a hole in the bottom of that swimming pool <laughs> by wearing a backpack full of rocks and trying to breathe through a garden hose. Uh, he almost died that day, but now I'm the guy in charge of this pool and I I go out there and I sweep it. I I vacuum it. I put chlorine in it. I'm looking at like, this thing's going to kill me one day because (laughs) it's never not leaked. There's always been like a tiny leak in that pool and it's been the bane of our existence (laughs) this whole time. But, um, but other than that, no, it's great being back here, man. It really is. And, And the material, You're right. It's great because a lot of people, one of the things I did too was a bunch of Dodge truck commercials Yeah, um, where I was like uh, this redneck character who uh, was in love with the Hemi engine and I would go, that thing got a Hemi, you know? (laughs) And so I did six of those commercials. But what's funny is now I'm back here. I'm living with my mother. So yeah, so this is, these are facts right here. I am a 48 year old divorced man who lives with his mother. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I don't drive a truck i don't have a dodge ram truck i drive a volkswagen uh Be- beetle <laughs> uh, that's great what color is it white <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so john let let's uh rewind a little bit so so in high school uh, it's pretty cool that you shared like that powder puff football photo that you shared from your high school is cool. So at what point growing up, like what influenced you to say, you know what, I want to try comedy. Was it somebody you saw on TV or. Well, I was, uh, I was a class clown in high school. My dad was class clown when he was in high school. My brother got it after me. Everybody who was a friend with me, I would always say, you know, you should be a comedian, you should be a comedian. But when you grow up in a town, you know, like Hickory, especially in the, you know, the 80s, 90s, there were no comedy clubs. I mean, I didn't even know comedy clubs were a place other than L.A. or New York. I didn't know they were another, other, I didn't know they were all over the country. But yeah. and back then they weren't. Now they are, but back then they weren't. So when people would tell me, 
I should be a comedian. I just thought they were just being nice and saying it was, it was just a compliment, you know, because it's not a realistic opportunity. But then when I moved to, uh, I moved out of Hickory to go to college at North Carolina State University in 1992. And when I moved to Raleigh, which is about three hours from Hickory, it's the capital of North Carolina. When I moved there, there would happen to be a comedy club right next to the campus. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know these were, they, they, we have one of these here in North Carolina. <laughs> this is weird. And so I went to check it out because everyone had told me I should be a comedian. And I walked in there one day and just, I was like, oh my God, I got to try this. <laughs> that would have been in 1995. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember some like early material, like what you, what you talked about or was like, or how the first set went? Yeah, unfortunately, my buddy taped it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I don't know where it is. Honestly, I don't because I, I would like to kind of find it. But a friend of mine named Marty, who's a guy who laughed at everything I said, he thought I was hilarious. He's the one that kind of held my feet to the fire about going up on stage and trying comedy for the first time. Because I had been talking about it, but I hadn't done it, right? Yeah. And... He goes, I need you to shut up about doing this or just go do it. And so I went uh, on the open mic night and he, I told him, I didn't tell a lot of people. I told him and maybe a couple other guys, but Marty was such a fan (laughs) or friend. He just, he showed up to open mic night with a, with a camcorder and sat in the back of the room and taped me. And uh, I remember my first time was not great because the guy who introduced me, the MC for that night. Now, mind you, this is a Tuesday night. There's maybe 20 or 30 people in the club. Uh, most of them are college kids. The MC goes, all right, ladies and gentlemen, this next comedian coming to the stage. It's his first time on stage. Oh. And that made me mad because I didn't want them to know that it was my first time because you know how it is when, Someone says, oh, it's their first time. You kind of get nervous for them. Yeah. And you're like, oh, God. And I didn't want people <laughs> thinking that. And I'm like, no, you just – so it kind of pissed me off. And then I ran up on stage. I thought it would be funny back then if I ran up there and just fell down. <laughs> I just wanted to go up there and just bust my ass. Well, Chris Farley move or something. Yeah. And I ran up there and I fell down. Now, to my own credit, it looked like a real fall. Um, it was great. Um, it was a great fall. So I fell down, and instead of getting a laugh, the crowd went, oh. Like they felt sorry for me because they thought I actually fell down, and oh, my God, he fell down, and it's his first time. Yeah. You know? So it wasn't good. And then I got up and tried to tell jokes, and I didn't have the microphone close to my face. You couldn't even hear what I was saying. Um it was pretty bad. The only person laughing was my buddy Marty, who oh, was in the awesome. back of the room, and he was laughing at me <laughs> for not doing well. So that was uh, that was my first time. I think one of the jokes. I think I told a stupid joke about uh, the Carolina Panthers. We got uh, we were we were new to the NFL at the time, and uh, we drafted a guy by the name of Tim Biakabatuka. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you remember that name? Oh yeah, Michigan. Yeah, that's right. So uh, uh, I remember our coach at the time was Dom Capers, <laughs> and Dom. Someone interviewed Dom Capers and said, uh, "What do you think about your new pick, uh, Tim Biakabatuka?" And Dom says, "Well, I think his athletic ability speaks for itself." And I never understood that. I I, I guess I know what it means, but I thought it'd be funny if the cameraman would pan over to Tim Biakabatuka. And then ask him the question, and instead of instead of talking, he would just start doing athletic shit. <laughs> so, so like Tim, uh, what do you think about being on Panthers? How do you think this season's going to go? And instead of talking, he just says jumping jacks and squat thrusts, or, <laughs> because that's his athletic ability speaking for himself. So it was a stupid joke, but I re- I remember that joke. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so how did your journey accelerate? From that, that's 95. Are you still just like at school doing it there? Like where where was the next place that you remember that you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe I can actually do this. I started there, started going a lot, got addicted to it, 
started taking classes. There was a guy teaching classes. So you learn like the basic stuff, you know, move the mic stand out of don't, the way. Don't fall on the stage. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good one. And also talk into the microphone. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so I learned the basics. Uh, but I started uh, started getting really into it. And then I just left. So I, kind of, uh, I started doing entering competitions, festivals along the way. Like I would win a contest here. This guy would talk about me. This club guy would talk about me. I would enter a festival. I'd do good there. And then this other circuit would start talking about me. And so I quit my job in 1998 to do it full time. Oh, wow. And that was a scary moment. I believe my headset's about to crash. I know. It kills me because I've been been charging it. So I'm going to switch to uh, the regular phone, okay? All right. No problem. I hope I don't drop you here. Still talking, still talking. Still here, yeah. And we're still talking. <laughs> Hang on, let's see here. Audio. Phone. Can you hear me? Yep. Very good. So, I, um, yeah, I uh, quit my job in 1998. I was working. So, when I went to school at North Carolina State University, I was a theater major. I was a mass communication major. I had, I had uh, a job at a TV station in North Carolina. It was our PBS channel, UNC TV. So I was working there. And I, at the same time I was doing, you know, I was going to school. I was working at UNC TV, PBS, and I was doing stand up on the weekends. And which was a great combination because I was able, I had access to a lot of equipment, you know? Yeah. Like I had nice cameras that I could rent or just, you know, I just check them out. Like I'm going to do a project or something. So I had, I had like three cameras coming to the comedy club, two channels of audio, one on me, one on the audience. I made my own half hour special for zero dollars. Oh, and awesome. yeah. And then I was able to make copies of it. Like I could make, uh, I could make like 30 copies at one time uh, on recycled VHS tapes because they were just laying around the TV station. So I, I was very fortunate to have that on my side. So I made all these copies of my tape. I made it look really good. And every, uh, every comedy club that I could get the address to, I would just send a tape to and a resume and a headshot. And just over time, I got responses just before the internet. Um, yeah. I got responses from people like, sure, you can come here this weekend. I mean, it's for no money. It was like for probably like $50 a show. Yeah. And, but over time they started coming in and started coming in before I knew it. I had three months of work booked up and I went to my boss in October of 1998 and I quit my job and I haven't had a real job since October of 1998. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Even if it's 50 bucks, 20 bucks, like your first, like somebody's paying you for this art. It's kind of, even if it was anything, even if it was for like a, uh, like free drinks, that's pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's crazy to think that you're getting paid for something that you enjoy doing and everyone else enjoys doing. And yeah, I remember the first, I mean, those are small checks in the beginning. You get like, you know, I'm talking the very beginning, not, not, not open mics, but if they pay you to be an MC, you might get yeah. like $25. $30. I mean, it's really nothing, but I remember the very first time someone paid me to do it. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. And then I remember the next big jump was a college gig. Uh, I, I forgot where I was. I was in like probably somewhere in Wisconsin, uh, some small town doing a small college, but they paid me like $1,500 for one show. Holy shit. And I remember looking at just staring at the check and going like, I, I should probably frame this because this is huge, you know, yeah. for me at the time. And uh, but I was by myself. I was just like, I'm, I'm just gonna get a six pack and a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's insane to think about. It. Then you remember the first time that you uh, you flew to a gig. That's another big one. It's like, wow, they're paying me so much money, and they're flying me out there. You know, it just keeps getting better and better and better the more you do it. And what? So at what point? So you're 98, you quit your job, October 98. And then the first time you might, obviously you taped your own special to be able to put on VHSs. But the first time I see on your IMDb, it's never hundred percent. Right. But uh, late Friday in 2002, yep. is that the first time you did stand up on TV? Yes. 
Wow. Yes. That's uh, so when I moved to Los Angeles in 2000 and I had, um, do, I had just done the Montreal just for laughs comedy festival, Oh, nice! which, which is like the biggest comedy festival in the world. I mean, yeah. it's, it's huge. So like I did, I did well there, uh, uh, as a new guy, you know, open uh, like a uh, new face. And I thought, well, um, I could take some meetings with people in Los Angeles, you know? So I had some friends who were already living there and they said I could stay with them on their couch, you know? And then, so I did well. I had a, a meeting with CBS. I had a meeting with Ron Howard's company, Imagine, and all these people who'd saw me do well at this comedy festival. And they're like, well, you're really funny. You should move out to, you should move to Los Angeles and audition for stuff. And so I moved out there in 2000. But I kind of made a deal with myself. I'm like, all right, if I don't end up on TV in two years, then I'm going to say I tried to make it in Los Angeles. It didn't work out. I'll go back to North Carolina. I'll just focus on being a good road comedian, and and maybe I'll end up on radio or something like that. And then about two years into my little contract with myself, <laughs> I got late. I got late Friday. I'm like, well, time to renegotiate. Oh and, my God. uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then I just stayed <laughs> now when you met with Ron Howard's company, did you meet with Ron Howard? No, 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 no. I don't even know who it was. I just remember it was Ron Howard's imagine TV. I'm like, wow, I can't believe they want to talk to me. And I went in there cause you know, I was nobody. I'm, I'm still nobody, but they, they, they just, they'll take meetings with anybody. If you have someone like an agent or a manager. And I had a guy that was, uh, helping me out back in the day. And, uh, and so I just took a meeting with him. There's like a general meeting, you know, and you go in there and it's, uh, I'm like, I, I went in there pitching my own show. I'm like, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Pump the brakes, buddy. We're just wanting to, we're just meeting you. That's it. We're just talking. That's all we're doing. You got to move out here. Step one. <laughs> so yeah, I don't even remember who it was. Obviously it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be weird. It's like, we're just trying to get to know you. It's like, what are you talking about? Like first date stuff? Yeah, it's where they do a lot of general meetings, which lead to nothing. There's <laughs> a lot of that in LA. Which it's, I've done so many of those, I don't even like doing them anymore. Yeah. Because I feel like it's a real waste of time. Like, they're just taking the meeting because my manager feels like they have to take a meeting to talk about me. And they're like, all right, well, what do you want to talk about? My manager's like, oh, go in there and tell them all your stuff. And I'm like, what, what, I don't know what we're doing. What's the goal here? <laughs> I mean, you go in there and it's like you're just looking around. I, you know, I pitched tons of shows. I got tons of ideas. And they all, some of them, some meetings go really good. And you walk out of there thinking, wow, that guy loved me. I'm definitely getting a show. And then nothing happens. Um, and sometimes they go really bad and nothing happens. <laughs> it's very, it's a, it seems like a colossal waste of time, but eventually, uh, you know, something works out for some people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got it's still good practice because I'm sure you know. So, uh, the next year you do star search and then I don't know if it was in 2003 or I know it came out in 2004, but, but the first, uh, Hemi, uh, Dodge commercial, how did, how did that come? So it's crazy. Uh, the timeline, you got the timeline down. I did late Friday. And then I was, I think I did star search next where I came in, uh, I lost on the first round to, uh, uh, um, Oh God, what's his name? The guy who did uh taxi cab, um, the game show, the taxi cab. Oh, I should know him. He's a, I think he's from uh, was a New live, York guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Jersey. Uh, Ben something. Ben, 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 Ben. Shit. I forgot his name. He, great guy. Very funny. I like him. I just, yeah. For whatever reason, it's, uh, it's caught me off. Oh, Ben Bailey. Ben Bailey. Yeah. 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 So, so I lost to him, and I thought, well, that's it. It's over. Um, <laughs> but I was already auditioning for commercials, and then, uh, and then the commercial happened. Yeah. I know. I heard you're, when you're talking to Joe Rogan, I think it was last year, the year before. So you shoot this commercial. You said, I didn't even think anybody was going to see it. Like, when did you... When did you start getting noticed for it? Because it was huge. They did six of them. So obviously people were watching them and buying spots. Yeah, I didn't think that it would lead to anything. But uh, apparently they sold a lot of trucks and they kept making more of them. But uh, I knew it was 
Well, I didn't know. I remember the first time I saw it on TV. I happened to be in uh, uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I was uh, doing a college gig in that. And then that Sunday, I had the Sunday off. I didn't want to fly out on Sunday because I just started playing fantasy football. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stay an extra day because why not? There's a bar right here. Because if you if I fly, I'm going to miss all the games. Yeah, and I didn't. I don't like watching them later. And then you know that the stats are going to roll up on your phone. And you're going to see and it's going <laughs> to spoil it. So I thought, well, shit, I'll just I'll just stay here, get an extra night. And I went to a bar by myself. I had all my stupid little stats, <laughs> and I walk it. I walked to the bar. They had all the different games on every TV, and there's a lot of TVs going. And all, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I'm looking at my phone or I'm looking at a piece of paper. And I just hear, hey, that thing got a hemi. And, and it's me. And I look up and my face is on every television screen in this bar. And the bartender is kind of looking at the screen and looks at me and goes, ha ha, that's you. And then, uh, and then people started recognizing me. I was like, oh, man, I think this might be a big deal. <laughs> oh, my God. Because, I mean, it was before... TiVo, you couldn't fast forward through it, and, and they aired it a lot on sports and um, that kind of stuff, you know. So, so you saw it, whether you liked it or not. You saw my face a lot. Now, did you get calls from that? Like once that picked up, did you have like comedy clubs or even like to take those meetings in LA afterwards because your face yeah. is everywhere? Yeah. Well, it does at least you get the exposure. Yeah. They they see the face, but there's no name with it. You just see the face. You see like, oh, that's the guy from that Hemi commercial. That's the Hemi guy. So people yeah. started saying Hemi guy, Hemi guy, Hemi guy. And I'm like, all right, whatever. It's, you know, people like it. They think it's funny. So why not use that to try and get people into the door at a comedy club? Now, I've already been headlining, you know, but no one knew who I was. Yeah. So I thought, like, put John Reap and then put Hemi guy with it, you know, like the Hemi guy, the guy from yeah. the Hemi commercials. <laughs> and then, you know, people from the the NASCAR world, the automotive world, they, the truck world, they they like, oh, shit, I'll give this dude a try. And, uh, you know, over time, people started coming into the club, and then they discovered that, yeah, I, I'm also a comedian, dude. I've been doing that <laughs> way longer. Yeah. And they're, like, and they're surprised. They're like, oh, shit. Oh, this guy's actually good. Um, and then over time, I, you know, just grew a fan base. That's awesome. And then that led to, obviously you're still headlining going around the country. And then 2006, you get a comedy central presents. Yeah. So I started doing the commercials. I get a comedy central presents. That was, uh, actually before that they used to do a thing called premium blend. Oh yeah. I love that. Yeah. So it's like different comedians come on and do like seven minutes. Right. So that's what I did first. I did a premium blend. They did it in New York and that went good. And then based on that, they said, Oh, okay. Can he do a half hour? And my manager's like, well, yeah. And then, so then they give you a half hour, which is the presents. And then the presents, you know, it turned out. Okay. I didn't like it at the time we were taping it, but it turned out later that it looked better than I thought I remembered it. But it was good enough that they aired it a bunch and then people started seeing John Reap, you know, that's, that's the guy from those commercials. And then, and then I believe I got on Rodney Carrington's sitcom. Yeah. I think right. I think even before that, unless yeah. the dates are on IMDb, but it has the first episode you did on. So, well, you sometimes you tape stuff way before then it comes out later. But I, and I'm really trying to figure out what what exactly happened first. But I, I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, by the time I got Rodney, I had already had a Comedy Central presents. I had already had a, a, a couple of commercials under the belt because those commercials lasted for about four years. You know, we do one a year, something like that. Um, but yeah, so Rodney was somewhere after that. But I remember. That's the best job I ever had. Yeah. Um, being on a, being on a primetime network sitcom is the best job because, especially if your name is not if you're if you're just the you know uh, one of the actors, you're not the star of it. So that's the best job that you can get in Hollywood. I think <laughs> is to be a cast member, not the star 
of a net of a primetime network sitcom that lasts a long time. Yeah. You w- would never have to worry about money again. Um, and so I was on that for two seasons. That was great. I bought a I bought a condo right next to CBS Studios where we taped it. And I remember I remember telling everybody. So later on, they canceled the show, but I remember telling people, if you ever want to get a sitcom canceled, all you have to do is buy a house (laughs) (laughs) and then they will, they'll go ahead and cancel it for you. But yeah, that was, uh, it was one of the best shows ever because Rodney was funny. Oh yeah. He's a cool guy to hang out with. We had a lot of, a lot in common. I could walk to the studio and walk home and I didn't have to fly. I was making a lot of money and I was hoping that one would last forever. That's awesome. Did you ask your dad for advice when you were playing a cop? Yeah, actually I did draw. I was kind of doing my weird version of half him, half what I think, you know, like a modern day barn Barney Fife might be. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of doing a little bit of that, but yeah, I mean, uh, definitely having my dad as a cop was a good resource to go to. Yeah, I interviewed a guy. He was on Mindhunter season one. Uh, this guy, Cotter Smith. His whole family, mm-hmm. like his dad was a judge in Maryland. His brother's a lawyer, and he became an actor. So his dad always like kind of ribbed him on it until he got bigger roles. And then later yeah. in life, when he got older, he started playing judges and lawyers on TV. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, a lot of comedians or actors, you know, you, you're more convincing when you know the material. Yeah. And I watched my dad as a cop. I, I, I knew a little bit about that world. So it was easier for me to convince people that maybe I am a cop when, uh, <laughs> when I've seen my dad, this, the stuff he's done. It's crazy. Did you, was that hard having your dad be a cop when you're like in high school? Well, so my dad was a deputy sheriff in our county. I live in Catawba County. That's where Hickory is. Anyway, when I was like probably four, five, maybe six, I can't remember exactly. He got shot on uh, April's April Fool's Day. And yeah, and my dad's a funny guy, but he also happened to be, you know, deputy sheriff, but whatever. I woke up one Saturday morning and there was a babysitter here. I'm like, where's my mom? I said, your mom's at the hospital. I'm like, what happened to my mom? Like, nothing. I go, okay, cool. Wait, where's my dad? Uh, oh, yeah, he got shot. And so, yeah, it turns out my dad uh, was going to a domestic violence case or whatever. And some guy was beating up his wife. And my dad was the closest one there when he heard the call came through. And they started fighting, him and the guy. And uh, the guy ended up shooting my dad in the stomach and then the hand. And then my dad returned fire and then killed that dude. Whoa. And yeah. So because he got shot and was met, he was in the hospital for a while. He had his intestines rewired. He had to wear a colostomy bag. He got addicted to morphine. So he was really messed up for a couple of years. So after that, he retired from law enforcement. Yeah. Um, and then he was the manager of a good year for, for most of it. But then as I got older, as he got fine, we went off to college. He started doing, you know, like volunteer stuff, um, you know, because he was still like certified. So he would go out and volunteer at like a high school football game. So he had the uniform, the cop car. And then when I let, he, he started, he was a bailiff um, at, a, at a court for a while as he got older. So he was always in it, but not after he got shot. He was kind of, he kind of took a step back. Yeah, I would, I would do the same. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. I can't imagine that. <laughs> so, so one one show that's really cool, and I think they brought it back a couple of years back, but uh, was uh, Last Comic Standing. That yeah. is, you got to think, even in the season, you beat guys like, you know, Doug Benson, Amy Schumer. What was that like being in a, you know, when you're doing the shows, you know, when you're headline, it's just really you. Obviously, you want to do better than maybe any opening act. Who doesn't want to be better than other people that are around? But like a competition like that, because you only get how many minutes? Three, four minutes they give you? Yeah, well, they cut it down. I mean, uh, it depends on what what the what the what you're doing in the beginning stages. Yeah. You just like an audition, and then and then they give you like seven minutes, and they give you ten minutes. But they cut it down for TV, you know. So 
uh, you're you're only seeing snippets of what we do, which also kind of sucks. But yeah, I'll give you the, the my whole opinion on that. I was uh, so that I think that was season five, two thousand seven. Yeah, I was um, in two thousand six or seven. I had already been on a sitcom. I had already done lots of commercials. I had already done the film. No, I hadn't. Have I done that? No, I hadn't done that yet. But I, I didn't need money. I was fine. So, but I was watching at home watching last comic standing watching these comedians who I've never heard of get all this prime time network TV exposure. That's a huge audience. And I'm like, wait a minute, this, I need to be getting this exposure. I think I'm just as good. if not funnier than some of these people. So, but I didn't like what I did not like about last comic standing was the reality show side to it because that's what it actually is. At the end of the day, it is a reality show, which I don't like. Because you see a comedian on stage doing really good, right? He's doing, con- he's confident, he's cocky, his jokes are going great. And then when this set's over, he looked right into the camera and go, "Please vote for me." You know, it looked, it looked weird. I didn't like that. So, for a long time, I, ha- I have an agent who would call me up every year and be like, "Do you want to go audition for Last Comic Standing?" And I'd be like, nah, "I'm good," because that's. That's how it would work in LA. Like, you know, you, they give you a call and go, oh, hey, you don't have to stand in line. I can get you an audition at a set time. Yeah. So I'm like, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Then uh, the season I got on, um, what changed my mind? He called me up. He goes, okay, so this year, you don't have to live in a house. Everyone's going to get their own hotel room. So it's not going to be like the real world or anything. And they're going to get like road comedians. They're going to get people who can actually do you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of comedy, and you know, in case you win, you could go on tour, you know, because sometimes they got people who could only do like 10, 15 minutes. And then it was like, all right, well, what are we going to do with that? But, um, so, and then he goes, and then the prize money is going up from 50,000 to 250,000. And I said, okay, I'll go down there. <laughs> <laughs> now I didn't think, that I would get as far as I did. I really thought I would go down there and get a little TV exposure and that would be the end of it because I know how they work. I know that it's going to be, uh, they're going to make me look like I'm fresh off the chuck wagon from Hickory. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they need a redneck. They need, they, they, you know, they need an alternative guy. They need a lesbian person. They need, you know, token black guy. They need everything. So, and I knew I was going to be the redneck. Yeah. So I know how to do that. So I let him, I let him believe it. And I, I, I amped it up a little bit, but, uh, I didn't think I would win. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Who were the judges that season? Uh, Alonzo Bowden, Kathleen Madigan and Ant. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I know Kathleen. Didn't she win one of the seasons? Alonzo won one of the seasons, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think Gary won. Goldman. Gary Galt, my yeah, was he on my season? I uh, no, I think he was on the season before. Oh, because before no, Gary Goldman was like one of the first seasons. Oh, was he? Yeah, first or second. My, I mean, the high. My season was uh, me, Lavelle Crawford, uh, Jerry D, who is a Canadian dude who is now uh, like the biggest comedian in Canada. Um, he's had his own sitcom now for the last ten years. He's doing really well. Then you got Amy Schumer, Ralph Harris, Doug Benson, Arsh Barker was on that season. You had John Caparulo. You had um, Tig Notaro was on that season. But it was the only it was the only year that it was uh, not just in America. This was a this was more global. It was like Canada, the UK, and Australia. So they went everywhere, and then that's that was a huge audience and all those people voted. So yeah, it's crazy. That's amazing. It was one of the craziest times ever. <laughs> so a few years back when you were on getting high with Doug, did you, did he talk about that at all? I'm sure you ran into yeah. him since then. Yeah. Yeah. That's where me and Doug became friends. Yeah. Because I, I had known Doug just in the LA comedy scene. Uh, I thought he was very funny, but we never really hung out, you know, until the show. And uh, <laughs> Doug was my drinking buddy <laughs> nice. because, yeah, I knew that we would be going on these challenges. You know, they they would, uh, since we didn't have to live in a house together, they had to force us to do something funny to hang out. So then we, we would do challenges, you know, 
And so one of the challenges was we had to go to medieval times and dress up like court gestures and try to make everybody <laughs> laugh. <laughs> really demeaning stuff. But I, were, I, but I know that's going to be an all-day activity because that's just how production is. It's hurry up and wait, hurry up and wait. And so we get up at 9 a.m. I know we're going to be there at medieval times all day. So me and Doug were like, hey, we got to figure out how to get vodka. We're going to sneak vodka on this uh, – on our little bus so that we can, uh, you know, have fun. And so we would sneak vodka in coffee cups. And, uh, yeah, so a lot, there's a lot of times where you're watching, if you, if you go back and watch uh, that season, uh, me and Doug are just laughing at this nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sneaking it in like it's 1989. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God, Doug's so great, cool. man. Doug's, Doug's got one. Of, I mean, I remember seeing Doug. This is when I first moved to L.A. I was there maybe a year or two. I was at the Improv, and uh, Doug was uh, – he, he had one of the best off-the-cuff jokes. Maybe it was planned. I, I, I don't remember, but I remember him like uh, – the, the joke was something like, you know how they say imitation is the highest form of flattery? So he would say that, and people go, yeah. He goes, well, I don't think that's true, and I'll prove it. And he looked at a random person in the crowd. He goes, you, sir. Now, I don't know you. We've never met before, right? And the guy's like, yeah. What's your name, sir? Uh, my name's Randy. He goes, okay, Randy. I don't know you. We've never met, but I think I could do a good impression of you. And then he goes, <laughs> it just goes, my name is Randy. <laughs> right? He goes, now that was, that was, uh, that was insulting, uh, but it was dead on. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a random, like, I just remember like, being amazed at Doug for just, you know, being able to pull that out of the back of his pocket. Cause it didn't look like it was rehearsed, you know, <laughs> but I've always loved Doug. So uh, I've been a lot of, you know, a lot of good, interesting people that year. Yeah, no, that's great. So from that, you win, you win, you get the cash, you get a special from that, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They did. That was part of the package was you get the money, you get a Bravo special. So I did a special that aired on the Bravo network, which is not my target demo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, blue collar redneck guy from Hickory who does Dodge commercials on the <laughs> Bravo network. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think anybody watched it, but uh, it's out there. <laughs> yeah. One thing I think is really cool. So the year, well, right around this time you did Harold and Kumar. So we'll talk about that in a second. I think this is so cool. So in 2009, you have Metro Jethro. And yes, that's filmed in Charlotte, North Carolina. What was that like to be able to film that there? That was, um, it was crazy. It was awesome. It was like coming home. You know, I had, yeah. I had one last comic standing. My, my family and friends, you know, have seen me sort of slowly rise, you know, like they, they knew that they knew the journey. Right. And now here it is guys in commercials, sitcom, movie now he's got his own special and he's coming back home to film it it was like a really nice theater in charlotte called the mcglowan theater it used to be an old church and so like there's all these stained glass windows it's a really nice theater it looks huge but it's actually kind of small but it was great um really i'm really happy with how it turned out although if i could change one thing i would tell the audience to to chill out a little bit they were they were really really amped up and that's, 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 they were just doing what they're told because they, the warm-up guy was like, all right, everybody, we want you to go crazy. This is your boy, blah, 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 And so, like, if you watch the special now, it's kind of annoying that the crowd's like, woo, way too much, you know? <laughs> like, I'd rather just hear laughter, but yeah. there was a lot of just random woos. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, just c- c- calm down. Let's just, let me do the comedy. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like, 11, why not? It's a little bit different than that. It's like, 14 years later and it's a, a lot different you know from your journey from when you're starting college and the guy's saying this is his first time and you're running up diving on stage and then you're able to yeah. that's like a moment you don't forget that's like an athlete finally being yeah. able to play in front of his hometown you know that was cool that was a cool moment and i remember um we did two shows in one night and i tried I did a lot of different material. Basically, if you get Metro Jethro, the DVD, it's like a two, two, two DVDs because they did air it on comedy central and stuff, but that's like, they, they cut that down to like 45 minutes, 
but the DVD has so much bonus material. I could have just waited and done two different specials, which yeah. if I were smart, that's what I would have done. I burned a lot of material on that one special, but, um, yeah, that was, a, that was, that was awesome. And then, uh, I mean, the, the moment of winning last comic standing was also kind of really crazy and awesome too. Cause I remember standing on stage with, uh, uh, Lavelle Crawford and uh, Bill Bellamy, who was the judge. No, no, he was the, uh, the MC. And, uh, he's, you know how they do like in the winter, last comic stand and just waiting and just waiting, just waiting. And I was convinced that Lavelle was going to win because well, Lavelle is very funny. Yeah. He, he was very funny in the room. Everyone thought that he was going to win because he was murdering every night in the room in LA in the theater, but at home it was coming across different. I didn't know that he didn't know that, but we found out later. Anyway, I'm just thinking, well, they're going to say his name. And then he goes, John reap and the place like the confetti went off. My, my dad was there. My mom was oh, there. That's cool. My fiance at the time was there and everyone just ran up on stage. And I remember like, like my dad, just the pride in his eyes was like, God, he goes, he, ne- he never saw this coming. Like he was just like, oh, this is, this comedy thing will be a phase. Uh, I get it. He's just trying to get laid. <laughs> He's just trying <laughs> to meet girls. Why not? Go, go have fun, son. But I didn't think he, I, no one saw this coming, right? And yeah. so it was just a great moment with my dad, my mom, and everybody on stage. And, and I remember too thinking like, because I do, I kind of hate the whole, you know, if you have a Southern accent, you sound like an idiot to people in, in New York or LA. So I've been burdened with that. That that, uh, that whole thing has always pissed me off a little bit. And so I remember, uh, I remember going, like, I'm going to get really hillbilly on their ass if I win this thing. I'm going to, I'm going to be really hillbilly. And so I started, <laughs> they made me wear a blazer, that, <laughs> that final, and I took the blazer off and I threw it on the ground. I started taking my shirt off. I started taking my shoes off. Cause I was going to get like naked and start like hopping around like an idiot on stage. And luckily my dad came up there and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, you won. It's over. Take it easy. And so yeah, he, he talked a little sense to me, but yeah, if you go back and watch it, you'll see, I'm starting to take my clothes off. And That's then the awesome. Camera just goes, it goes to a different shot. <laughs> They're like cut from John, cut from Johnny's doing something. <laughs> yeah. Like he didn't trust me. <laughs> no, that's cool. And then right around that time, you know, Hal and Kumar. And then besides that, you were in a lot of different shows too. Eastbound and Down. Are you fast? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it just <laughs> it, yeah. After after last comic standing, I, I went on a run of just all kinds of random stuff, and still do to this day. You know, uh, Harold and Kumar, big movie, uh, movie Into the Storm, uh, I, and I didn't even know about Harold and Kumar. Like I didn't watch the first one until I knew I was going to be in the second one. And I thought, well, I better go watch this first and see what this yeah. is about. And and, and uh, yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. That was those guys are great. Everyone, everyone in that movie that I worked with was amazing. The directors and the producers, uh, John Cho, Cal Penn. Yeah, your sister wife. She's pretty funny. Missy Pyle, very funny. She was. Uh, she's done a lot of good stuff. So yeah, doing that, and then Eastbound and Down on HBO was was like a dream come true because I was already a, a fan of that show. I dressed up as Kenny Powers for Halloween two years before I was on the show. Oh, that's awesome. So now I'm sitting there like, I can't believe this. This is crazy. <laughs> you know, and I've, and, I've, and, I've, and I've done stuff for the Disney Channel, Good Luck Charlie, and I've done stuff for uh, Amazon Prime. I have a new special out right now called The Ginger Beard Man. Oh, it's great. That's on Amazon Prime. You can get that right now. Other than that, I've just been focused on uh, – working on this podcast man yeah no that's it's fun it's especially during a time like this at least you're able to still you know get out there and you know for your fans and connect with them yeah um a lot of i wish i'd been because i'm only on like episode 19 or 20 with this country ish yeah i've started and stopped like three or four different podcasts because i'd get busy or lazy or just thought like well this is going nowhere (laughs) but i think if i had kept Long, longevity is the name of the game. That's what you got to do. You just got to oh, keep yeah. doing it. Put your put your head down and just go, go, go. And I felt like I feel like if I had kept doing what I started, I'd be way. I'd 
I have a way bigger audience. But I'm I'm happy with what we're doing. It's very funny. We've got segments. I'm doing it with my friends I grew up with. That's awesome. And it uh, it's going really great, man. Well, that's cool. No, it is true. Longevity is key. Like if you ever watched uh, the Dana Carvey about the Dana Carvey show on Hulu, the, mm-hmm. it's too funny to fail. Even Colbert said that because he was behind Steve Carell for years at Second City, and he was like. I just stick it out like something's got to happen. So he just kept doing right. it, like waitering at night, you know, during the day and doing comedy at night. Yeah, if you just, uh, especially if you if you're good. I mean, being good is is the biggest part of it. But yeah, there are a lot of people who are very funny who just quit too soon, or something happened in life you know, like a tragedy or a job or they got pregnant or, or somebody died or, or what financial reasons. But, but it's, but you just, if you have talent and you have a motor, you have drive and you just go like, I'm doing this. It can happen. So it can happen to anybody. Now you were saying it earlier when you're talking about like, you know, not knowing any comedy clubs and uh, you're a little bit older than me, but like, if you ever go, like, if you're ever watching, I'm sure you have any comedian when they talk about like even Seinfeld, when he talks about like the seventies and the early eighties, there was like such a comedy boom that even like every hotel was like putting up makeshift comedy clubs and then it all mm-hmm. dried out. It was like the gold rush in the late seventies, early eighties. And then it just died out. Yeah. I heard that the late eighties was the heyday for, for stand-up comedy. Yeah. And then, and then, like, yeah, everyone started doing it, and it, and it got really saturated. It got bad, and then it got good again later. But um, yeah, I, I've I've heard that too. Um, I would have liked to have seen those days. I, I'm afraid if I had started, then I wouldn't have made it out. <laughs> you know, I would have been like, I've been like, this is way too fun. I don't need to do anything else. I'm going to get drunk every night and do comedy, and I probably yeah. would have died of cirrhosis of the liver. So, so working when you're in LA and you're like going to the comedy store and all the other spots, was there any comedians that you worked with and you're like, or you saw like, and you picked their brain about like the whole process? Uh, uh, over time, even before I got there, just with other headliners on the road as a feature act and then definitely in, in LA as well. But I've worked, I mean, God, the comedy store is such, such a gold mine. It's like, um, it's like a frat house for, for headliners um, where, you know, we, we all go out and do our thing on the road, uh, make, you make your money and then you come back to LA on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you, and you see all these headliners that you don't normally see because we're always working on the set at the same time in different cities all over the country. And you bump into a, a Chris Rock, a Dave Chappelle, an Andrew Dice Clay, you know, Pauly Shore, uh, <laughs> you name Joe Rogan, all of them, man. I mean, everybody goes there and it's, it's crazy. You just learn so much from watching other people, you know, um, I remember, do you know who Sebastian Menachowski is? Oh yeah. Menachowski. I remember sitting there when I, when I first got to comedy store, I was a door guy. I worked there, um, checking IDs, uh, you know, worked my way up. Uh, became a paid regular, but I remember like my class, you you want to say the years I was coming up was not the best times for the comedy store. It was going through a phase. It it wasn't selling out every night, even though you had big names coming in there, it was still like hard to get people in the door, but, but you learn a lot sometimes just from a shitty room. I remember sitting in the back of the room watching Sebastian do a show for probably 12 people. And his act is designed for a big audience because, uh, you know, he, t- he tells a story, he's kind of slow. And then all of a sudden he explodes with big energy. And he makes it, does a big thing. And then he goes back down with his energy and he starts setting up the joke again, tells the story and he's big again, you know? <laughs> so it's funny watching him do that in front of only 12 people <laughs> in a room that would hold like 300, you know? Um, but I remember going like, dude, this guy is committed and uh, and very funny. I mean, obviously very funny. He's one of the best comedians in the country. But I, it's it's fun just having those memories of watching these guys that are just killing it now. We all had to suffer <laughs> through, <laughs> through those those bad nights, those bad Tuesdays at the comedy store. But yeah, a lot of great, a lot of great people to learn from at the comedy store. That's cool. Did you ever come out to Jersey before and play like Stress Factory in New Brunswick? 
Not Jersey, but New York. I've done Dangerfields. I've done Carolines. I've done, uh, oh, God, what's the other one? Gotham. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, the first time I first time I did stand-up in New York was at Dangerfields. And there was, like, 20 people there. And most of them were from Europe. Didn't even speak. Like, English wasn't their first language. They were, like, from the Netherlands or something. <laughs> I'm mean, like, this sucks. I want to talk to people who speak uh, English, you know. But but I had still had a good time because it was New York. But <clears throat> I don't – no, I'm not play. – I've been to New Jersey. I've played New Jersey. I've done colleges. I've done random events up there. I've done, oh, Atlantic City. I did oh, Trump's okay, Casino. Yeah. yeah. I did Trump's Casino one time a while back. But uh, comedy club, not the, not, I've not done the Stress Factory. Everyone talk about it, but I would love to. Yeah, it's a pretty cool spot, especially it's where Rutgers is. Mm-hmm. So obviously right now you're not able to get out on tour, but I'm sure you're chopping a bit, yeah. bit to be able to get back on the road. Yeah, it's all up in the air, man. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, I've had to cancel four or five dates already. I'll probably end up canceling more. Not sure when this thing is going to blow over, but uh, cannot wait to get back out there. Um, I bet. I don't even have a whole lot of coronavirus jokes, but I'm kind of waiting to see how it plays out before I start coming up. I mean, I've got things that I think are funny, but I'm just going to wait, make sure that, you know, not everyone is dead. I know, right? <laughs> and then, and then I'd be like, okay, now I can talk about it. Like after nine 11, you know, like the first person to make a joke after nine 11, what was you're afraid to it's like oh my god i don't want to lose my career stupid <laughs> joke I, i'll just wait a month but so i'm kind of doing that with this whole thing you know no it's smart because you know what will happen in you know five six years from now if the video gets pulled up and they don't remember when you told the joke even if it was on your podcast they won't look at the mm-hmm. date they'll be like oh my god 17 million people died and this guy's making a joke Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if Gilbert Godfrey told us everything, you know, I mean, like oh, he no. made that one joke after that tsunami. Right. And then yep. he lost his contract with uh, Affleck or whatever. But so, you know, I'm just going to wait a little bit. Um, I do have one T-shirt idea in mind. It's not even really a joke, but I want to get a T-shirt made of David Allen Coe wearing a surgical mask. And it just says David Allen COVID. That's all. It's not even a joke. It's just a goofy t-shirt. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome, man. Hey, this has been great. So one thing I wanted to ask you earlier, and I like to ask people at the end anyway, so I guess it works out. So obviously, you you were able to get into comedy. You're kind of a comedic actor. You hosted a bunch. So when you were going to school for media and then working at that PBS station, what was the other – was there another route that you wanted to go? <laughs> Well, I was just taking a, I was just trying to do like communication courses. So like it, 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 it weirdly worked out to where I was a, it got a theater degree out of also getting a mass communication degree. So my, I guess my, my backup plan was to just stick it out at that TV station. I probably would have ended up trying to work my way up to a producer level, maybe try to work up to getting on camera somehow in some capacity. Um, but, but stand up sort of just came along and, and, and that was more fun and I was doing better at that. And by the way, you know, I was working at a, a PBS station. Yeah. So when you're a college kid, you know, working at PBS, you're like, this is boring. I don't want to be on this show. And, it's a government job. No one, there's not no, there's not a real boss. Everyone's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we'll shoot this one again today. They got to go beg money from the legislator, you know? So it's, it's not like, uh, thrilling, but it was still TV and I wanted to work on TV and film. So I thought if I did, if I took classes learning about TV and film and I did stand up and I'm, taking acting classes in theater, maybe one of these two things will pan out and whatever works is what I'll go with. Yeah. And turns out stand up is what it was. Yeah. I remember growing up, I remember people were like, this is probably when I was in elementary school. People would be like, Oh Doug, what do you want to go to school for? All these other kids had high ambitions. They're talking about like doctors and cop. And I remember that I was like, 
communications. And they're like, what do you want to do with it? I was like, I don't know. On Saturdays when I'm watching college football with my dad, every person's major is communication. Oh, God. Yeah, well, that, by the way, okay, well, if we're going to go there, I barely got into college. See, I, when I graduated high school, I was making C's and D's. And I went to a community college for two years doing nothing. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea. But then a buddy of mine, he goes, so North Carolina State University has this program where anybody off the street can take two classes and a PE. And if you do well, they might let you in as a full-time student. Oh, wow. And I go, hmm, okay. How do I con my parents into funding this? And so we... That's what I did. I went to North Carolina State. I took two classes in a PE. It took me two semesters. I finally got in. They finally accepted me as a full-time student, and then I had to pick a major. Now, at this point, I still had no idea what major I wanted to pick, and I basically said to myself, well, what are the athletes taking? They're usually pretty <laughs> stupid people. It's usually communication. Okay, I'll do that. I did it because I thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> That's the whole reason. And then I got in there, and I actually started liking it. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And I, I you know, I, I backed into this whole career. It was an accident. That's awesome. No, it's cool. I talked to a lot of people that like accidentally like get into acting because there were no other classes and took that. They took an acting class, like an airplane. The actor Robert Hayes. Yeah. Like he like mm -hmm. he moved back. His dad was in the military, so he was going to the university in Nebraska. They moved back to San Diego, and he moved like too late. So when he was picking his classes, all they had really was like mostly electives. So he's like, you know what? This gives me an excuse. I'll take an acting class, and then you know, right? History. That's uh, that's kind of what I mean. Uh, the first theater class I took was a was a summer school course. Like it was a. Uh, it was during the summer, so it wasn't even a lot of people on campus. It was me and like maybe eight people, and half of them were like you know athletes, and uh, but we had to do scenes together. <laughs> so, and I was doing scenes with people who could barely read, and I was the best guy in the class, and the teacher was like, "Oh, you're you're pretty good. You should maybe take a, you know." the next level of acting, you know, acting two or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and, and I did. And, uh, and I realized, Oh, I think I'm kind of good at this. And yeah. so it was an accident. It was really, uh, honestly, it was just based on, I just wanted a degree from a university. I didn't care what it was. Yeah. And I thought, I thought communication would be the easiest thing. So I got really lucky. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Hey, John, this has been great. One thing I want to let you know. So I'm listening to, I saw it last year, Ginger Beard Man. So I watched it again over the last few days. And one of your bits happened to me one time. And I'm sure a lot of people say, hey, man, I watched your comedy show. That happened to me. But the movie theater thing, I went, uh -oh. and, so the movie Beer League came out. Like growing up in Jersey, yeah. I'm like a big Artie Lang fan. And from like Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. So I go to see that movie. I was like working at this lawn care company. Middle of the day, I should be working. I went to a movie theater in Jersey, like 1230 showing. I sit down, the only one in there. I'm like, dude, this is so cool. So I sit like right in the middle. And I'm not even kidding. This guy comes in. At the time, I'm 19 or 20. He was like in his mid-40s. He sat like right. He sat next to me. He was an overweight man next to me eating popcorn. And then I'm just like, is this, at first I thought like, this is like when punk was big. I'm like, is somebody like fucking with me right now? So mm -hmm. then I look over at him, he looks at me and then the movie starts and I just didn't move. <laughs> I felt weird moving. Were you at an adult cinema? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, cause that, that used to be a thing. That's how, that's how guys would meet each other. <laughs> but no, um, yeah, that is, I, even to this day, if I go to a matinee movie, I like I like going to matinee movies because there's less people in there, and oh, so yeah. if you get there kind of early, I don't mind going by myself. I'm on the road. I'm used to being alone. I, I, I like going to movies in the daytime. I'll go and I'll I'll pick out what I think visually for me will be the best experience for this movie, and I think other people do that too. So they'll walk in and go like, "Man, that motherfucker, he's in the best seat in here." So I'll just kind of. I'll just kind of sit somewhere, you know, so, so it looks like everyone's 
trying to crowd you, but really they just want the best seat. But yeah, yeah I, I was thinking the same thing too. Like, get out of here, you weirdo. <laughs> oh man, it's been great, man. Thanks for spending the hour with me. And thank you. And uh, if you could remind them to check out the, the podcast country ish, that would be nice too. I appreciate it, buddy. All right. Have a good one, bud. John was awesome. I feel like with everyone that I talk to, I feel like I always have a great rapport, but man, we were going back and forth, made them laugh a few times. They seem real, like real laughs. So I'll take them. So don't forget countryish podcast, countryish.com. And I'll put John's uh, website in there as well. Cause he's going to, he's out on tour so you can go check him out. And, uh, man, he was great. And I hope everybody in their lives has a buddy, Marty that pushed you to do it films it and then is laughing in the back row because that was a big push for him to John to get up on stage and look where he's at now. Hilarious guy in so many cool roles that he played over the years. He was in into the storm. Ah, all right. So I'm going to shut my trap. Now your homework. Now watch Harold and Kumar Two. the greatest kind of homework ever. Great movie, great cast, great cameos throughout it. And don't forget to review, rate, share our podcast, follow us on all social media at Sequels Only, and don't forget to check out our website, SequelsOnly.com. Good night.